Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're talking some USC Texas. Yes, it's Wednesday. We're still going to talk a little bit of that because you guys have sent in a lot of questions here on the Peristyle Podcast. We needed to get Dan Weber in because of the travel schedules. Everything kind of got pushed back, but it's also getting pushed back in a different direction because USC plays on a Friday instead of a Saturday this week. So we're trying to cram it all in. Apologize for the late analysis podcast but we you guys sent in a lot of questions to podcast at uscfootball.com or called or text us at 424-254-9141 we got a lot of them so i want to try to honor the people that took the time to write us or text us or send us a voicemail and get dan's uh take on what you guys have to say a lot of great questions a lot of a lot of questions about this team obviously heading into uh the washington state game sitting at a one and two record Thanks again for uh, listening to us, and thank you, Dan Weber, for joining the show. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, you talk about what we're doing in terms of uh, travel schedule, late night, late night Saturday game. Really, even for you know somebody like me who got on the first plane out of Austin, you know, you get in really uh, you know late on Sunday, and now you've got a Friday game, so. You're squeezing, you know, one direction. It's as late as you can get back. You're two time zones away, and you've played a very late game to begin with, and now you've got a Friday game. That's scheduling that no one should ever accept. I mean, to, to get squeezed on both ends of that schedule, to travel, to, to have a late night game, two time zones away that forces you to travel and get in, get into you know, L.A. really late the next day. And then uh, to have a Friday night game, that's just crazy. USC's got to be better than that, I think. They can't – and I think it's probably, it turns out, could be a good thing that, you know, as badly as they played, the sooner you get to play the next game, maybe the better. But just in general, no big-time program should ever – allow itself to be scheduled into a week like this. It's just really, this, this is bad. I mean, they got to do better than that. There's got to be more leadership at USC. It just has to be. It's, it's just unacceptable. I think a week like this. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I'm doing a piece, you know, full disclosure, uh, about this could be a perfect storm as far as, uh, low attendance goes on this Friday game, but that's something I think, USC fans, you can check that out on uscfootball.com, cut up soon, but that's something USC fans can take advantage of. Do you want to go to this game? Do you not, you know, you don't have season tickets. You want to check it out. So I did a bunch of research. You can get some cheap tickets. The cheapest ticket you can get, and I pulled it up on the app, is through SeatGeek. Uh, it's great. You can go up to $14 is the cheapest ticket I saw for USC Washington State. So they they specialize in last minute deals. This would be the perfect last minute deal. But you can get tickets for uh, if you want to go for a night out, you want to get a gift for somebody. SeatGeek has all of that uh, all in one app. So you make sure you check it out. You can it'll search multiple ticket sites and it'll grade every ticket based on value. 
So it'll help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. So you can go to the cheapest option, or if you want to get, hey, these are better seats that are cheaper at this one outlet, you can go to SeatGeek and it'll tell you that. And all of their purchases fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So like I said, I got the app on my phone. It's really easy to shop for tickets. I check it for every game to what's going on here. So the USC Washington State game, because I was writing that story, I actually put SeatGeek in the story because it was part of it. That's the cheapest ticket I found. So all of our listeners here on the Parastyle Podcast, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if that's your first purchase and you want to get like a pair of $14 seats, they're almost free. Uh, just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. So, Dan, yeah, I agree with you. This is uh, not an ideal situation, but maybe that's something that USC fans that maybe can't afford to go to a game normally will be able to go this time. You know, I'm wondering that almost if you were just going to buy one seat, uh, I don't know. Do you still get $20 off? That would be like uh, uh, a minus $6 for the uh, for the ticket, kind of like USC's rushing total at Texas, <laughs> minus five yards. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that works. But. There, is, yeah, there is. So there's a there's usually a little fee. I think for that ticket, it was like a four dollar fee, so it would still be under twenty dollars. Um, like if you okay. just go to the yeah. So and I was look, doing research on uh, like USC site. Like the USC was charging, I think eleven dollars uh, fee per ticket. So uh, it's definitely it's certainly affordable. Like th- take advantage if you never get to go to a game and you can get off work a little bit early. Uh, I would take advantage of it this this weekend. Yeah, you could take all the kids and everything, you know, just uh, just just to be at the Coliseum. Just to, you know, if you haven't been to the Coliseum, go for it. Yeah, check it out. The um, I'm not sure how different the construction is going to look this weekend, Dan. Like I I yeah. I got a picture from last time. See how much further along it is. They're not doing. I mean, I mean, obviously, there's not a lot they can do while games and stuff are going on, but they're going to keep working throughout the season. So every week, the the Coliseum will look a little different to us. Well, the lights were on uh, late at night. Now, I didn't know if that was uh, just for the the construction or uh, to put in a new uh, turf. I mean, uh, as we were talking at practice this week, I asked, uh, you know, Clay, so what do you think about, uh, you know, putting in the new turf uh, in, in five days and having it ready to go? And he said, really? He said, they're putting in new turf? I said, yeah, they started right after the Rams game uh, Sunday. He said, wow. He said, thanks for the information. I didn't even hear about that. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, five days isn't a lot of time to get a, a brand new field down, but, uh, I guess there was some kind of, cause we, you know, it wasn't like the grass looked patchy, but it wasn't so much patchy. It was just, you know, starting to show a lot of brown. And each week there was more brown. And, and then when you got down on it, you saw, okay, it's actual grass. It's just something's wrong. Well, apparently there was some kind of turf disease that uh, uh, they decided because the Rams going to come in and play on Sunday. So you got USC Friday, the Rams Sunday, and I think the Rams next game then is Thursday. So there's like <laughs> three day, three games in the next, uh, what, five days? If Friday, uh, from, uh, six days, I guess, from Friday to Thursday. They're going to get a, a new field and three games in six days. The schedule... <laughs> is not doing the Coliseum any favors this year or USC, to be honest, uh, you know. Uh. Yeah. Well, okay, so I wanted to get to a bunch of the Texas questions um, since we didn't get to do a show. We normally do it on Tuesday. Everything, like I said, got pushed back. Um, I put in in the content item up here just – 
Uh, you know, we're not trying to be mean or anything, but we're getting so many questions. It's ridiculous. Um, so if you can keep them concise, that's the best way to, to read them. And I've been sending the ones to Dan and he can do a column and stuff with some of them too, but it's hard. If you're going to write a really long dissertation, definitely take it to the message boards, uh, the peristyle for our premium, if you're a VIP member or the fight on forum, uh, for free. So just, you know, you can go in there, post for free, love to share your thoughts and other, other fans can comment on it. You guys can debate what's going on. Um, but this one, this one's a little long, Dan, but I have to read it. It's our buddy, Sir Eric of Troy, who every time I see him, he tells me, you never read my questions. You never read my questions. Um, we saw him in, which was a great time in Austin. Uh, we had the, uh, little meet and greet on Friday afternoon at the key bar and it was great. Uh, so I wait, hundreds of people showed up. It was crazy. Didn't never expected that, but we got to see him there. Dan and uh, he he texted in and emailed in, but he said, "Dan, when you and I talked at the key bar in Austin, I then asked you where was Lynn Swan and what did he have to say after the Stanford loss. Now I'm begging to know what is he doing as Clay Helton's boss, Swan, a former All American, has to know that SC does not practice well. The fresh legs garbage is obviously another failed experiment by a head coach not talented enough to prepare for a dogfight without players like Darnold Dory." And Deontay around to improvise and save his butt. Although Lin Swan is my second favorite wide receiver of all time behind only the all-world Jerry Rice, I was totally against his hire as an AD with zero experience. However, I was optimistic that he'd bring something to the football program, program having played and practiced on championship teams. So far, I've seen nothing he's done to toughen this group despite his promise of directly supervising the football program himself and not being satisfied with the Rose Bowl victory, et cetera, et cetera. So, Dan... Where is he? Sir Eric of Troy from Rancho Cucamonga. Right, uh, good question, uh, Sir Eric. Uh, uh, yeah, we were. Uh, you were, uh, actually uh, showed me that on your uh, on your cell phone uh, last Friday, and because uh, we thought, I think you have the right kind of feeling that we had. Uh, I mean, let's face it, Lynn Swan was not happy with the Rose Bowl win. I mean, that was one of the things that caught all of our attention standing outside the locker, locker room at the Rose Bowl with, uh, you know, yeah, we won, but, uh, you know, all the things that didn't go right. And, uh, you know, we're going to get there. And we really haven't seen or heard any of that, you know, in two years. Uh, and Lynn hasn't been much of a presence. I mean, I know we kind of keep track of, of uh, Lynn being at practice now. And uh, uh, I think for actually being there, not just, you know, showing up for a couple of minutes or whatever, maybe three times in the last six weeks. Uh, So hasn't been a big, you know, big factor there. Uh, Haven't seen him after games. I don't think ever uh, in the last, you know, recent past. I, I just don't remember uh, or he was more available, uh, certainly that, you know, that first year. And, uh, it's like, that's a good question. I don't know. We don't know. We really don't have that, you know, access. Uh, uh, I don't know that anybody's really gotten to, you know, have any sense of where is Lynn, uh, you know, about this. Uh, he was at practice the other day. Did stop talk to a couple of the players, which I, I thought was good, uh, with Chase McGrath uh, in a wheelchair or in his you know motorized wheelchair after his knee injury, and uh, said something to one of the guys doing a you know drill on the sideline, but 
I think that'll be a question that'll be more uh, able to be answered here in the near future, depending on how things are going. But uh, but I think so far it's kind of a mystery. Lynn has been kind of a uh, a mystery figure in the background somewhere that where you don't get that sense of uh, you know hands on direct. Uh, this is uh, you know who. This is the, you know, this is the head of the athletic department. This is the, the person directing where, where this, uh, where this all goes. And I mean, I don't know that it's that easy to come from the outside, uh, into a, you know, an athletic program like, you know, at USC, the, one of the top three winningest programs, uh, uh, you know, in history of the NCAA, one of the probably, I guess you would most of the time say one of the top five all time uh, college football programs, uh, to take over, uh, in a time where it's, it's been a difficult time for USC and it's not that easy for all college, uh, football programs and, and the whole, all the things that are going on with conferences and scheduling and, uh, television contracts and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a pretty specialized, uh, you know, place to be. And, uh, so, Sir Eric, you got a good question. I wish we had a good answer. Yeah. I don't think we do. <laughs> Thanks, Sir Eric. And it was good to see you again uh, at the uh, at the Key Bar in Austin. Um, there's another question. Now, this, this might have some relevance to what's been going on this week. So if you haven't been following Dan's instant analysis, um, no full pads practices this week with the short week heading into Friday. But I'll play you this question for you, Dan, and kind of get your thoughts. Hey, Ryan, for you and Dan. When we uh, convince Coach Helton to practice harder, all we have to remember is mock game week. If you keep bringing that up to him, he will understand what he did. It's not like he's changing practice, admitting that he didn't do the right thing. No, he's just revisiting something that he was already doing. They went ones against ones, real hard hitting, very competitive, even got a lot of injuries out of it, but everybody was prepared to play, you know, that could play that week. That's what we're missing, the fire. Uh, that's We don't have to make him seem like he, he didn't know what he was doing, but just ask and revisit my game week before I go into lost hibernation. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, I would say this. <laughs> if and, and this is what I, I just think with, with USC fans. Yes, do we probably try to influence uh, things uh, for the better? Yeah, I think we do. We all care a lot about how this program does. We, we like the coaches. We like the players. We, wanna, we like USC. We want to see it do well for all kinds of reasons, including, you know, it's, it's, it's more fun. It's more enjoyable for us. It's more interesting. And then, yeah, we can create a lot of, uh, you know, stuff that comes out of chaos and people still want to, you know, be part of it, you know, at least figure out what's going on. But I, I think if it's, if they do something because we convince them they've got to do it, if it's not just something that they understand and believe in, and know why they want to do it and how they want to do it and all that. I just, it, I just don't think it works. I don't think it comes off as authentic in terms of it's it just, you have to know why you want to do 
what you did. Let's say mock game week. Okay. What was happening there is there were a lot of positions on the depth chart that really weren't decided and they needed to do that. Uh, and they felt like, Oh, we're far enough away, you know, with, with injuries and things like that. I still think there's that in the back of everybody's head that was in, involved during the sanctions that, you know, injuries are something to be, to be worried about. Or when you get into the season, uh, I think the genius of Pete Carroll's time was, uh, they didn't change during the season. I mean, it just stayed competitive, 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 full speed, full speed, full speed, not necessarily tackling and, and taking guys to the ground and all that, but full speed competitive, uh, in practice. And, and I think that's where they get off track a little bit is it's more, let's get ready for this next game. Let's get our play calls, right? Let's do that. And it's like, if you don't know how, you know, how to do, say you get the right play call, fine. If you can't execute it full speed with somebody trying to stop you from running that play, it's getting the right play call. So what? Doesn't matter. Uh, and I think that's the, you know, the emphasis that at times is missing. I mean, I'd like to, you know, have the, have every position on the depth chart up for grabs every week. So guys were competing and competing in practice. And, and, uh, you know, we see guys that, you know, jump out. Elijah Winston the other day, I thought jumped out on the scout team. And, uh, I know coach Grovno was really working on the scout team to say, make it hard on those guys, you know, go after them. And, and Elijah Winston, you know, was in the middle of a couple of big, really big pops and, you know, the kind of thing that I think helps, uh, you know, get a team ready. But, uh, this week on uh, full, the whole full pads question this week, I think is a really hard one because of the schedule, because of getting home late on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning and, uh, having a Friday night game. What do you do, uh, you know, with an accelerated schedule where you don't have a Monday walkthrough? Uh, do you go in pads? Don't you go in pads? I thought they handled it well. Uh, I thought they've had two fairly competitive uh, practices that comparable to Tuesday, Wednesday. The problem is if you really want to establish the run game, which obviously they need to do after Texas, I'm not sure you do that as well, not in full pads. I'm still not sure that, you know, that they should be second guess for that decision. It's just a harder thing to evaluate. Are you getting the job done, uh, in the run game? It looks like the running backs are running harder. Uh, finishing runs, uh, it looked like the, uh, offensive linemen are getting out of their stance or firing off the ball, doing the things you'd, you'd like to see them do every single day. Uh, but it looked like they were doing that. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a, uh, it wasn't downbeat about how practice was going. I thought they were getting as much out of practice, uh, the last two days as you can. But again, there's a limitation. There, I don't know what Washington's schedule is this week, but, um, you know, and they've been home. Uh, so they have probably had more time on the practice field that, that they've had available to them. And, uh, whether they've had, you know, a full, full pads practice or not, chances are USC won't be quite as ready for this game because if Washington State does have to travel, it's the day when you really don't practice. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, 
I think Clay knows something has to change. Clay changed this week. He he's more the monster of care, more involved, more upbeat in terms of encouraging you know the players and uh, the players like that. I mean they they really uh, feed off that. So uh, we'll see. I mean some changes are happening, but you know we'll see Friday if enough and they're moving in, in, in the right direction enough. More subtle changes than like major changes. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from John, uh, sort of along those lines. He said, I hear many people saying, fire T. Martin. Um, he capitalized fire. I'm not sure why. But he said, I think people who complain about T. Martin are not looking at the big picture. The play calling is far from our biggest issue. The scheme is the problem. And Martin didn't design it. I don't know how much it matters when what play he calls because none of them work. If they replace him but require the replacement offensive coordinator to run the same quote-unquote gumbo offense that does not fit the personnel, I don't know what the results would – I don't know if the results would be measurably better. Thoughts from John? Yeah, I think the gumbo thing is it's sort of – you know, I mean, T's been part of it. There's no question about in designing it. And, you know, so has Clay and so has Steve Sarkeesian and so has Lane Kiffin and – it's just sort of evolved. Uh, it doesn't seem to play to the strengths of, you know, of USC. I mean, it, it, it does not. Uh, and yet, you know, is it one of those things that if you had them performing, you know, an offensive line performing to the best of their ability, and you had, you know, the physicality that you really wanted and the technique you really wanted, it might not be where you'd look at the design of the offense and say, boy, that, that offense is, is just not designed to work. But there are times where, you, you know, you, it looks like on goal line, they just don't have a chance uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Uh, but, but then you always have somebody that doesn't execute, doesn't get the play right, whatever that breaks down as well. So... You know, the the parceling out of blame as to where this all goes uh, when you've got a number of issues uh, involved, it's, it's hard uh, to parcel out blame. But, yeah, I don't know that a new play caller would change things drastically uh, the way they practice and, and just the way, uh, you know, the depth chart is designed. And, you know, if you've got – if you're T. Martin and you've got an offensive line – that hasn't been together at any one practice uh, for weeks. I don't know. Is that how hard, how, you know, how easy is it to know what play you call if you're just not sure the people that you're calling the play for, um, you know, it's not. And, and yeah, would you like to see them have the uh, quarterback under center at times? Absolutely. But you have to practice that. Yeah. You got to feel comfortable with they that. Did, you can't. Again, yeah, they did I mean, that twice in the, uh, so they did under center at least twice that I saw, and they got a penalty both times, <laughs> both plays they ran. They don't practice it enough. It's like, it's it's one thing to say you want to do it, but it has to be a big part of practice. Yeah, you, you can't be have to think about it. It's just got to be automatic. And uh, they don't, there are just things they don't get done. Uh, that they need to get done and feel comfortable about. And, 
they're just not ready to do some things that maybe, you know, we all might think, well, that'd be better if they did that. But, uh, you know, and, you know, are they, are they better off with an offense than as a tight end? If the tight end, A, doesn't get the ball thrown to him or catch it when it is, and, or B, doesn't really block. What's the point, you know? Uh, and yet I know they don't want to go four wide and look like Washington State, you know, but maybe are you in a position where because you don't really execute that well on the offensive line and because you don't, you know, have tight ends that, that have all those skill sets, maybe you would be better off playing four wide and, you know, handing the ball to, you know, uh, JT Daniels and say, just go get them to JT. Uh, and they'd say, I know they would say, oh, we can't do that. That's not USC football. Well, there are a lot of things that aren't USC football that are happening, you know, right now. And I think the job right now is to win football games. And I think you go out there and just what do, what do we do best that we could win football games doing with this personnel? And then you do that and you forget balance. You forget what do we No, if you can't, I mean, to say you want to be balanced and then get a minus five yards rushing against Texas that gave up 189 yards to Tulsa the week before on the ground, you can't run the ball. It's that simple. You're doing something wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, or every one of these players was, was badly misranked coming out of high school. You got one, one or the other choice. I mean, I would guess Tulsa's offensive line probably averages about a two star. So, I mean, and they were able to run the ball in Texas. So something's wrong. And if you've got to readjust and say, well, until we figure out how to practice, until we figure out how to block people up front, until we figure out, you know, an offensive scheme that works, we're just going to throw it. 60 times a game. Uh, you know, I know there were people saying, oh, my goodness, you let JT throw it 30-sometimes this game and 40-sometimes that game. I'm thinking, hell, that's not enough. He needs to throw it more. <laughs> I mean, if you got minus five yards against Texas, he didn't throw the ball enough. And yeah. yet the weirdness of this USC team is they got two rushing touchdowns against Texas, including one for 23 yards. So this is amazing. They have a total of minus five yards rushing for the game, which includes two rushing touchdowns, <laughs> one of 23 yards. I mean, it's, that makes it even harder. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They just want to bang your head against the, you know, the wall and say, what are we doing here? Yeah. All right. Here's another voicemail question for you, Dan. Ryan, uh, this is AC from the OC, and this question is directed at Dan. Dan, I'm going to cut right to the chase and just ask a simple question. Is the head coach and the coaching staff that we have in place the right group to take us to the next level? And looking back at the Kiffin and Sark years, obviously we have the benefit of looking back. Those were probably the right hires. Um, with the big uh, sanctions hanging over our head, it would probably have been hard to recruit a top main coach at the time, and those guys filled a need. But we found out we needed an adult in that seat, and Helton did just that. He provided stability to what was then a wobbly program and got us going in the right way, and there's no doubting the success that he's had on the field in certain ways. But I look back at the ESPN Top 300 High School Recruiting Classes over the last five years, and interesting, there are four teams that averaged the top ten recruiting classes in those years, 
uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and USC. And obviously three of those have uh, maintained top five programs on the field, and one, us, have fallen out of the top 25. So we're getting the talent in. It's not developing, obviously. And so the question is, is the head coach the one to do that? Is it his whole staff? Uh, or are we going the right way and just need to make a few corrections? Um, I'd love your feedback. Appreciate it, guys. Bye. Yeah, JC. Uh that hasn't been demonstrated, I don't think. Uh, uh, by year three, you ought to be going in the right direction. I, you know, I mean, uh, John McKay had a really tough uh, first two years. This sort of anonymous assistant from Oregon with a, a losing record. By year three, he wins the national championship. He gets his players in, gets his system in. Pete Carroll, year two, they were really good. Year three, they won a national championship. I think USC is one of those places, and you talk about is this the group to get them to the next level. I think that's always the question at USC, and the next level at USC is winning national championships, competing for national championships. USC, because of everything in its DNA, uh, its location, its uh, uh, the academic part of it, uh, you know, its history, its heritage, all of the things, uh, you know, the conference, as bad as the times we looked at the Pac-12, it enables a team that dominates to move on. So everything is in, you know, lined up to let USC have a shot. And if there, it's not even a shot, uh, basically there have been two kinds of coaches in the history at USC. The ones who win national championships, starting with Howard Jones, who was brought here in the 20s to, uh, you know, fill the Coliseum, and he was an All-American player at Yale, all uh, uh, national championship coach at Yale, and he was at Iowa where he was it was very good, and where, where Newt Rockney said uh, when they tried to get Newt Rockney to come to USC, uh, he wasn't ready to make the move, so they he said you ought to hire Howard Jones, and they did. Uh, so, and then John Robinson kept uh, uh, John McKay's. Uh, uh, you know, his first time uh, as a coach, John Robinson also kept that, you know, power game and, uh, and, and won, uh, you know, was a national championship coach at USC. But the other coaches, there's no middle ground. The problem, you know, when that's the problem at USC. You're either uh, able to win a national championship or you're gone. Uh, you're, you know, and you're not the right guy. And I would think, and Clay started the year off talking about, you know, our goal is national championships. And this team is so far from competing for a national championship that by their own terms, you would say no. Uh, because uh, they, you know, very much this year, Clay talked national championship more than we've heard him this year uh, before the season. And uh, that's so far from the reality that, uh, that you think they're basically telling you they're they're not the right guys right now. Can they get it, you know, turned around that fast? You wouldn't want to bet on it. I mean, uh, I mean, I probably got really uh, four weeks ago mock game week, five I guess now. They practiced hard. They practiced, you know, competitively and full speed and did so many good things on Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm thinking, okay, 
you know, you don't always know the first couple of weeks of fall camp what exactly you're looking at. And I'm thinking, okay, there is an evolution going on here. Maybe it's the way this particular group of assistant coaches has gone together and all that. And then you get to the next week, and they get one kind of competitive day. And the following week, real game week, uh, uh, nothing. And uh, nothing, you know, the next two weeks uh, in terms of really competing and going hard and going fast in practice. And we see the results, you know, at Stanford and, and Texas. Uh, it was very difficult for after watching them to, to have a good feeling at all about either one of those games because they just weren't prepared. And, they, and it's, it's not a cliche to say you practice, you know, that you play like you practice. And watching them practice, you didn't have a good feeling. And uh, the only feeling you had was, well, maybe Stanford is like last year, not that good. And maybe Texas is like the team that got beat by Maryland two straight years and barely beat Tulsa. Maybe you can squeak through. Turns out both of those teams were ready to play. And uh, you got to give Texas credit. I mean, they showed up. Uh, that 103,000 crowd and the students were were crazy. And, that you know, they're down 14-3, to 3, which probably was a good uh, – if you wanted to say how good are these teams, you look at the first quarter, it's 14-3 USC, and you say, yeah, that's about right. And then Texas turned it around, and USC couldn't perform under pressure and kept screwing up and couldn't stop Texas, and uh, and Texas could stop USC, and it, it just, you know, what a turnaround. But that's a, a result of kind of, you know, where this team has been uh, with these coaches. So, uh I know Tim Drevdo the other day said, we'll fix it. We'll get it done. We've all been here before. I think that's really in the balance, uh, whether they they can do that and whether it's the kind of thing that even if you get it turned around a little bit now against the rest of the Pac-12, where you do get, you know, some of the teams that look better in the Pac-12 now, like Colorado, uh, uh, are coming into into the Coliseum and Arizona state. I don't know what we're, what we're looking at there, but those were games we didn't think were going to be all that much of an advantage playing them at, at the Coliseum. It might matter now, but, um, but USC, you know, doesn't play Oregon, doesn't play Washington. So they could get, you know, they could get through this stretch of games, uh, just on talent, but, and JT, uh, developing week to week. It's one of the things, Clay talked about yesterday. How do you get better? He said basically the only way is for young players to go from game to game to game. And it's like practice doesn't exist in that world, that the development of players and development of a team strictly is dependent on playing games. And that seems to say, well, then what's the point of practicing? I mean, shouldn't you get better in practice too? Yeah, uh, and that's not part of of the thinking. It doesn't seem when you hear Clay. He specifically said yesterday, the way you get better, the way you develop confidence. This is a team without much confidence. That's a big. That's a big sign. A bad sign that they don't. It doesn't look like the coaches trust the players or themselves to have gotten the players ready. It doesn't look like the players necessarily trust one another or the coaches. That's a really bad sign. Uh, uh, but uh, if you get better in practice, that changes things. Uh, you can't just wait for, 
for games and hope something happens based on this week's game or next week's game. Sure, they're important in terms of development, I, but I think what happens on the practice field is more important. But that that's a, a, a missing element here that I think makes it really difficult to get to be the kind of team you want to be if you don't see how practice can make you better. Yeah. Hey, before we jump into more questions, I wanted to thank uh, Trader Joe's, who've been great with us over the years, and maybe not years, but a couple years, I guess now. And uh, I was actually in Austin, staying with my college friends. We were weren't in a hotel, staying in a house. And uh, she, uh, my friend Kurt's wife Megan, loves Trader Joe's, and it was cool to see her getting stuff. I tried something new for the first time. They did these uh, chocolate croissants, which are sweet. So you, they're frozen. You let them sit out overnight. And then they puff up, so they're kind of flat, and then they they expand and they rise, and then you pop them in the oven. And I think it's like twenty minutes or so. There's a lot of chocolate inside, which I love. So it's a new thing, new thing you should probably try out there from Trader Joe's. I don't know if you had those yet, Dan. No, I'm. Uh, I'm gonna go get some now. I think uh, that sounds <laughs> awfully good. <laughs> there, yeah, Very they're good, good stuff. But um, check it out if you're gonna go Friday to the game. You can stop by. Uh, there's no tailgating on campus. Uh, you can't do that on a Friday game, but if you want to bring stuff over the Coliseum, uh, you can do uh, pick some stuff up over at Trader Joe's at the University Village. So uh, go check that out. Um, all right. We had, uh, this is an interesting question. We had a couple um, t- talking about uh, the USC's short yard situation. So I'll read you these two things. Um, the first one was with Ryan. It's not me. He says, Ryan, he said, not Abraham. He's concerned about Stephen Carr's health on the fourth and goal play. Needed to beat the Texas defenders to the pylon and didn't even come close. Is it just me or is he not as fast as last year? Is it a lingering issue from the back or, po- or possibly playing tentatively because he usually gets hit as soon as he gets the ball? I think there was some breakdown in the blocking on that one too. But on the same lines, uh, Giles Miles says, since USC cannot convert short yardage situations by going through or around opposing teams' defense, why not resurrect an old tradition going up over the pile in a flying leap the way Sam Bam used to? Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on those two things, Dan. I don't remember USC doing that for years and years. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, that, yeah, when you get to the inside the two, it certainly would be, although you don't have the same uh, you know, mechanical opportunity when you're snapping the ball uh, in the shotgun. Uh, you could get a flying, you know, start if you're if you got the quarterback under center, and and you're the you know the deep back. But it doesn't have the same kind of because you basically get the ball immediately, so you have to start your, you know, you ca- you get the ball and then you also leap. You have to give yourself your own momentum, whereas uh, uh, with the ball. Whereas before, if you're in the team formation with the quarterback under center, you basically can get what one, two steps, and then you get the ball and then you leap. So it's a different kind of a, a, a deal when you're doing it from the shotgun. And I know there are a lot of people who think, you know, snapping the ball five yards deep when you're on the one is probably not the best idea. But if you haven't worked on the quarterback under center, if you don't have, if you can't do it in your sleep without even thinking, uh, you don't want to do something that, that you don't do well. As far as Stephen Carr, how did he look on that 23-yard touchdown run? Looked pretty quick to me. He looked quick to the Texas guys. They barely got a hand on him. 
you know, he, he made one cut and ran by everybody. I thought you can't look any quicker than that. So here you got a, a game, same game where, you know, he runs it up the middle uh, and runs by everybody and scores an easy touchdown. This couldn't have been easier. Then they get to the one yard line. Couldn't have been harder. Yeah. He looked very tentative. I thought uh, that may be because he didn't have anybody pulling in front of him when he was supposed to have somebody pulling in front of him. So he may have been, you know, thinking, what is somebody coming? Uh, what's going to happen here? Cause the only people that went with him were the three uh, Texas defenders. So that may not have been an indication of his speed, uh, but more a case of now, what do I do? You know, they've got three defenders in me. Uh, can I beat them to the, you know, the pylon or not? And where's my help? Uh, so, so I don't know that that was an indicator. I mean, he certainly didn't show any speed on that play. No question about it. But I don't think the play uh, developed exactly the way it was supposed to. So I wouldn't use that as a uh, as a marker against where his speed is. And I know Clay has said he's going to give him more touches this week. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten more touches, hasn't gotten more involved in the passing game. There hasn't been anything wrong with him. Uh, I, you know, I, he wanted to come back for the end of spring ball. Uh, they were very cautious in the summer, uh, but they, you know, backed off in, in what they've asked him to do in practice. Certainly, when they were competitive in practice and where they were hitting, uh, they, there, there was no sense of oh, we got to be careful or, or whatever. Uh, I think the whole team looks slow, though. I mean, it's not like just Steven. Uh, you don't see people running away from people. They just aren't. I mean, and I think that's more of a sign of how they practice. You're not seeing the wide receivers, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, getting, you know, open. I mean, in, in ways in which, uh, other than Amon Ra, uh, it's just, uh, I think Levi is able to overcome it to some extent. He's got three rushing touchdowns, uh, but he practices. He kind of doesn't matter to him how, the rest of the team practices. He just goes ahead and practices uh, all out anyway. Uh, but uh, but I think the way, again, it goes back to practice. The way they practice has kind of slowed the whole team down because um, they are more athletic than they show uh, that they showed the last two weeks against uh, Stanford and Texas. And it's kind of a shame, but it, it certainly doesn't look like anybody um, is all that athletic the way this team you know shows up and ready to play all right uh kind of along those uh lines on the run uh here's a question about running set up the pass you know pass set up the run uh yeah this question is for uh harvey or dan this is uh chris from san jose try to make this concise two things um I've noticed uh, even in the Kessler years and, you know, even up to the present, right now the philosophy is talking about, oh, we got to run the ball, that'll set up the path. Um, is it just me? But I've always noticed even when USC is running the ball well, you would expect them to pass the ball easier. You would expect, okay, someone's going to be open right now. This is a good time to pass. And when they do pass, you know, maybe they're after running the ball successfully well, they're still not successful, you know, executing a good play, or there's not a guy wide open. It, it's just, I don't know if it's me or you have seen that as well. I've never seen where the run has truly, truly set up the path. Second off, 
I know uh, there's offensive issues with this team, but I thought two big possessions in the Texas game were the two times that USC scored, I felt the uh, the defense actually let the team down. They let Texas score both times. as a field goal or a uh, or the touchdown on the second time uh, Texas scored. Um, I just thought uh, they could have taken any momentum away from the team. Could have taken any momentum away from Texas, and USC could have had all the momentum. Again, thanks for everything. You guys have a good one. Yeah, I, d- I do think that was a kind of a worrisome tr- uh, you know, tendency to just, re- is it relaxing? Is it uh, uh, a different way of, 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 you know, calling the defense that after you've scored that you kind of, uh, you don't, you know, stay after him as much and you don't try to take the ball away or you don't try to get the ball back immediately. Uh, but it certainly looked like that, uh, you know, and then as far as, my my sense with this team and its ability to run the ball is that they have to set everything up with the pass. They have to set the pass up with the pass. I mean, their run game. I mean, they they, they you know it was minus five yards against Texas. So you can't set the run up. You can't do anything with the run game in terms of setting up your offense when you're when that's where you are. I mean, you're basically I don't any run play. You know, I mean, it it got to the point where. If you're on the sidelines and you're the head coach, you say to the play caller, if you call another run, there will be someone else up there calling plays. We can't run the ball. No sense in running the ball. I mean, you know, it it pretty much got to that point, but, um, you know, with the score and everything else. But, uh, yeah, this team isn't good enough running the ball to – do anything with the run in terms of setting anything up. It's just not good enough. Uh, they, they don't, you know, they don't have any, you know, they can't knock you off the line of scrimmage. Uh, this is a team that when they get, you know, third and one, fourth and one, third and two at the goal line, this team's in trouble, not the other team. I mean, Texas turned down a penalty to, to give USC a fourth and one shot. It said, we'll, we'll take the ball away. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, that's just, that's just so bad. Can you imagine in the John McKay era, a team giving USC an, an extra shot? You know, just say, go ahead from the one yard line. Yeah, you won't score on us. That would be, have been such an insult. He would have tried to score like the next 10 times they got the ball. They would have tried to, you know, run it down your throat. I mean, that, and USC, you know, Screws the play up, doesn't score, just runs off, you know, with their tails between their legs. Uh, so I think right now trying to set anything up with a run is just a losing proposition until they prove that, that they can do better than that. And, and this is the week to do that. And uh, for a number of reasons, they weren't able to practice in full pads or they didn't practice in full pads. So uh, do they resolve that this week? Uh, well, we'll see. Um, there's some come some news that came out last night. Uh, Akili Ross tweeted out that he was going to grad transfer. Um, he, uh, said that USC basically wasn't utilizing his talents in the best way and, and felt the best thing for him to do is graduate and transfer. Uh, some people thought he took some shots, but whatever. I mean, it was, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's putting that out there. And then the news, you know, came that Isaiah Polamau will have, uh, you know, he separated his shoulder, well, surgery, and he's going to 
uh, be out for the season. Tark wanted Tark with a Q wanted to know: Does Isaiah Polamalu get to take a medical red shirt since he used his traditional red shirt last year? Well, I think you can't take a medical red shirt until you um, uh, finish your fifty. I mean, if you want to take a medical red shirt, I guess he would be in a position to. If you say it's the same injury and it uh, carries over two years, which they could. I mean, I think they were related. I mean, I think, you know, he generally had, you know, that's where he missed last year with, uh, with a collarbone kind of, you know, situation that they seem to be related and they're going to have to stabilize his whole shoulder. He, he, you know, he's a kid that six, four, probably not 200 pounds, um, kind of got a lanky lean frame, but he likes, he really a hitter and, he might have been one of those kids that you really needed to, uh, to you know, strengthen him, to really, really build him up just because of the way he hits and because of his frame. Uh, but I think you could probably, you could say that probably would happen, you know, for him. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, the NCAA has fairly much leeway and, they haven't, you know, been real favorable uh, to USC's uh, uh, request for medical red shirts. So uh, whether that is one of those NCAA deals where they know, you know, doing something for USC that they do for everybody else is not looked on favorably, I don't know. But uh, but I would think he, I would think he could, uh, he could could do that. As far as Achilles Ross, uh, you know, look in the mirror, man. If you want to say who hasn't used his talents to the, you know, utmost, it starts with Achille. And then USC uh, would be way down on the list of, of people to, to blame for what's happened to uh, Achille's career. And I think without a doubt, a grad transfer, you know, is, is the right thing for him to do. We hope he does well. And he does have talent. Uh, it just didn't manifest itself at, at USC. And, you know, you can blame everybody you want, but I thought, I thought this year they bent over backwards. They kept him basically a starter through a couple of weeks where he wasn't able to, you know, perform on the practice field. And, uh, you know, he was never not downgraded, uh, from a starting you know position or at least uh, a co-starter with Bubba Bolden, uh, you know, and having really not been on the field. So I thought they really tried uh, hard to keep him in the lineup, uh, this year. And then what happened happened, but I thought, uh, I thought they gave him a really fair shot this year from, from everything we could see. I mean, they can't, you know, if you can't practice, uh, I don't know what more they could do other than say, you're still, you know, you're still in the running. You're still, uh, you're still the guy. And, um, I think, uh, Achille took himself out of the, out of the running, not USC. Um, we'll, we'll do a couple more and let you go. Here's one last voicemail. Yes, hi, this is Mark from Playa Vista. I have a question for Dan. Dan, when I met Trojan Ox at a tailgate three years ago, he mentioned to me that kind of stuck with me is that uh, coaches are very, very stubborn and they're always stuck in their ways. And I'm seeing that now. I just think that the coaches are very, very stubborn they want to do things how they want to do it, and they're not realizing it's not working. 
I mean, what can we do? Can we give the, continue to give them advice on what needs to be done? Or is it something that we just need to give up on and look for another coach? Thank you. Fight on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, we think, you know, we can give them advice and we think we can make suggestions and we certainly do. Uh, but I think they have to really feel it and believe it. And, uh, and it's, and I don't know that there's one mind with this coaching staff. You mean you have Kerry Colbert, who was the guy Pete Carroll always said was the most likely to be, uh, uh, a college coach, uh, who played for him. And here he's coming in, uh, you know, after being with Nick Saban at Alabama, you have, uh, you know, Kadeshi Yadezi, who knows exactly how, uh, they did, you know, under Ed Orgeron on the defensive line at USC. Uh, and yet maybe you don't really see all of that, uh, happening here. And, and, you know, this coaching staff, how it goes together and all of that, it does look more like the approach is more like the Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, uh, you know, approach to things and not necessarily, you know, one mind in terms of, of, of where they're going. And, you know, that comes to the head coach. You got to have a philosophy. You got to have, this is how we win football games. I know it. I understand it. My players are going to understand it. We're all going to be on the same page. And, and, you know, we're going to, and you're going to be able to tell that we are. And the problem is what we're looking at is what we see on the practice field shows up at games. And, uh, and is it working? No, obviously, you know, it's not. And a lot of the, the things that aren't happening in practice, uh, are, are directly involved with what's not happening in games. Uh, you know, the physicality, the toughness, uh, you know, this, this is not a team you would ever say the word, you know, a tough. Uh, when you hear other coaches talk about USC, the one thing they talk about is they've got talent. You talk about talent, talent, talent. That's all they say. They don't say they're well coached. They don't say they're smart. They don't say they're tough. They got talent. And that's not, that's not enough. I mean, talent is, I think what it tells you is what these other coaches are saying to their teams are, this is a team of guys who are ranked much higher than you coming out of high school. And it's a team we can beat because we're tougher, we're smarter, we're better coached and all that. That's what they're saying. And to some extent, it's proven out. And USC has to be able to say, you know, somewhere, sometime, that we're better coached than you are. We're tougher than you are. I mean, was there ever any doubt that Pete's teams weren't tougher than almost everybody they played? Uh, and obviously, you know, they had the talent. But you know, it wasn't so much the talent. It was, they just took people out of games and they didn't let them play. And they took the ball away from them. And they, they did things to people that stopped them from doing what they wanted. I mean, for example, with Texas, they had a great running back. They had a 235 pound quarterback who, who kind of ran like a linebacker, just sort of a lumbering old guy. And every time, you know, they didn't have a, a receiver open, he just sort of, you know, lumbered around till he found an opening and then he just kept on going and people that couldn't tackle him. That's unacceptable. I mean, that, that Ellinger, you know, a, a very instinctive, nice player and all that. He should not have been able to ramble for the yards that, that he rambled for when he needed to. I mean, it just shouldn't have happened. Yeah. But it, 
didn't look like USC. They don't look like they're quick on their feet. They don't look like they respond well. They don't look like they react uh, in a moment uh, where the, you don't see playmakers really uh, stepping up. I mean, I mean, one of the things that you loved about, you know, the P. Carroll times were on defense. You had, you know, from Troy Palomalo to Lofa Tatupu to Matt Grudigut, you had guys who were going to make plays on defense. They were going to do something special. They were going to, you know, uh, sucker a quarterback into throwing the ball somewhere because they knew where he was going, and they'd act like they were looking the other way, and then they jumped the route. Just stuff that you just don't see that anymore, uh, that kind of, you know, playmaking ability on defense. Uh, uh, as much as the defense is kind of hung in there, uh, you don't see that, and you you don't see an offensive line that can control a game or can at least give your offense a chance to do whatever it wants to do. Uh, you just don't see. I mean, you don't see playmakers that at tight end, you know, for example. Uh, you, you know, you, as much as maybe they screwed up the play at the goal line, fourth and one, uh, you would have liked to have seen Stephen Carr just out sprint those guys to the pylon. I mean, and just say, look, the guys on that linebacker at a, you know, uh, uh, safety, I'm going to beat them to the pylon. I've got more high gear, and you didn't see that. Uh, it's just stuff that we're not seeing, and uh, you need to be able to see. And, uh, you know, this team has to start doing it, and um, they don't have much time. I mean, it, it just this is they're up against it, and I don't know that there's anything that we can do to encourage them to get there. <laughs> it's so uh, there aren't That's not many our job. people who are yeah, <laughs> there aren't many people who are great great college football coach. That's really hard to be a great college football coach. That's really 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 hard and USC needs great college football coaches. It's that simple. So it's really there we're talking about a really small population of people who can get the job done at USC. And uh and again, you're either one of those guys who can win national championships or you're probably going to be moving on Yeah. And uh, if you're at USC. So actually, when you look at it that way, it's probably not a hard question to answer <laughs> at this point. You know, I mean, it's a shame in a lot of ways. I mean, you have an adult in the room, a nice father figure and all that. But uh, and, and there are hard decisions you have to make. For example, you can say, I want to really be fair to the three quarterbacks. Therefore, we're going to divide up all the reps and we're going to go three weeks at least and we're going to have them compete. The problem is, if one of them is clearly the choice, if there's really no actual competition involved, You've wasted three weeks. The guy who would have been the guy who is the guy at other schools who are getting all the reps isn't getting all the reps. And two guys are getting a lot of reps that are going to be of no benefit to the team. So while being fair to those two guys in a way, although is it fair to tell guys they're really, they're really in the competition when they're really not, I don't know. Uh, but, it's not fair to the whole team if 
by allowing a three-way competition when there really isn't one and then limiting the guy who is the guy, that hurts the whole team. I mean, you know, if you have a guy who hasn't thrown the ball to anybody enough other than his high school teammate, uh, you haven't been necessarily fair and you certainly haven't helped your team's, uh, you know, development. And now you're into the season and you talk about, well, we got to get, you know, games and games and, and, and do it that way. But maybe you could have done it more in August had you chosen to make the, the tough decision and said, nope, this guy's the guy. It wasn't any, there wasn't any doubt. If there was doubt, then you really have to question the coaches if, if they had a real doubt. Yeah. Because there wasn't any doubt. Uh, and so would you have been better off saying, we've got this kid, he could still be in high school, we got to get him ready, and we just got to make the tough calls. I think we know how that would have gone maybe some other places where you would, you know, and it wasn't like some of those like calls that Nick Saban's had to make at Alabama. You know, he's trying to keep a guy from transferring, and he's got enough quarterbacks that he can kind of shuffle them in and out. Uh, but that's not the situation at USC. And so, uh, um, you know, it's not easy to be a head college football coach and be the father figure and keep everybody happy. You probably can't keep everybody happy. And the ones that you can't keep happy, you know, they make their own call about, you know, where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And you, you, you just wish them well and you do the best for your team. And, uh, I think, you know, you got to do the best for your team. What's the best, what helps us win? Cause you're there to win football games. I know it's, it's great to, you know, try to do all the other things and those are important, but the first thing they're paying you millions of dollars a year for is figuring out how do we win football games? And, um, that maybe seems to have been lost a little bit here. We're going to do one last one and let you go. Um, this is, uh, and I'm sorry, we had so many, I'm what you're going to be, shocked when i email you these questions dan because there's no way you can get them all in a column but at least you can see them and and see the ones for yourself philip from maryland he said i'm a grad current grad student at usc i can't help but feel like usc is run more like a mafia family versus an athletic program i.e hiring people with ties to usc promoting from within not entertaining public questions about change or the way things are done at usc i understand the uniqueness of the trojan family but with this the things that have happened in leadership on the academic side, as well as athletics, are there a systemic problems or blind spots in the culture? What do you think? You know, I do think the leadership culture is really, and, 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 and it was interesting. I, I took that, you know, Max uh, Nikita's class. Uh, he invited me to take his uh, class where he basically brings the, uh, the classics of, of, you know, Greek literature up to date. And Max had a, a, a great interest in what we're talking about in, uh, you know, Oedipus and, you know, those kinds of, uh, you know, Greek dramas and how, you know, and a lot of that was about leadership. And uh, as smart and as insightful, and I really, really like Max and so many things that, uh, that he, uh, he did and, and, and personally has such a, such a you know a good guy and uh really cared about the students and all that you still see the the culture 
caught up with, uh, with what was going on at USC. And uh, there seemed to be an insularity, uh, an inability maybe to see the world exactly as it is or, or where USC's role was because USC's doing so well. It's got so much going for it. I mean, the campus is spectacular. The uh, academic progress is is unbelievable. Every you know, there's so much, so positive uh, for USC, but there did seem to be. I always thought it was like at the next level down from Max. There didn't seem to be the ability to get the get the decision, get the advice, get the discussion going that would get you to the right place all the time at USC. There, there, there's a place where maybe that family atmosphere, which worked uh, in a simpler time in the 40s and 50s and when USC was just you know figuring out how to be USC, to where it is now as the largest employer in Los Angeles you know County and you know the major driver the Figueroa Corridor is one of the great uh, uh, de- urban developments in modern American uh, history, and USC is the major driver there. And to do that, there are so many things involved in, in, in being a leader at USC, and I'm not sure that the culture has exactly figured out how to deal with that between being the family and understanding USC and yet always you know, getting that right person who has the ability to get outside of the family and see all the possibilities and all of that. I mean, obviously, you just look at the football hires uh, uh, and, you know, where you hire for this reason, uh, where you hire Lane Kiffin because he's going to save the recruiting class, let's say. Uh, or you hire Steve Sarkeesian, God only knows. I'm not even going to go there in terms of why he, he was hired. And then you hire Clay because he's the adult in the room, and he's the guy that, you know, you've had two uh, uh, coaches fired in midseason two years apart, something that's never happened before, even remotely in a, a big-time program. So now you got to get somebody who's not going to embarrass you, he's not going to surprise you, he's really a good person and all that. But is that, is that enough, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, a college football program that wants to compete for national championships? So the culture, uh, with all the good things about the culture at USC, I think the culture has let USC down uh, a little bit. Uh, it's a great place. If you're at USC, maybe uh, it's a great place to have a job, great place to work. Maybe you don't want to rock the boat. Maybe you don't want to take any chances. Maybe you just say, hey, uh, you know, we're USC. You come to us, and, and we'll decide if you're good enough uh, uh, you know, with a, with an idea, for example. I mean, I like the fact that I know some of the USC fans were amazed. They were at Stanford, and here's Stanford with, uh, they had the Stanford Medical was sponsoring the USC Stanford game, and they had a T-shirt at everybody's seat. And, uh, you know, people all thought, ah, that's pretty cool. I just thought the idea, would USC ever do that? I mean, would USC, like, Friday night knowing that, I mean, they've got some, you know, uh, things going on in terms of, uh, you know, tickets and, and what have you. But, uh, is it the, the place for USC to do some things that they've never done before, where they really, you know, push the, uh, marketing and push the outreach and all of that kind of thing. 
I would think so. Uh, I mean, they've gotten themselves in trouble over this renovation because they saw one place that they wanted to go. How can we raise the most money the quickest and the easiest? And they did. But in order to do that, they gave the stadium over to those, you know, 23 founders uh, and, you know, took away 10,300 best seats in the house. And that was kind of a blind spot, I think, uh, you know, just kind of a blind spot. I, I, I'm not even crazy about the uh, the new name of the stadium as much as they're going to, you know, get from uh, United Airlines. I think taking Los Angeles out of the name of, of Memorial Coliseum is a mistake. And uh, even if you have to go with, you know, Los Angeles, United, Memorial Coliseum, whatever. I just think uh, to substitute United for Los Angeles, I think is kind of a blind spot. I think you know, Los Angeles should always be in the, the name of the Coliseum. Uh, and just things like that, that it just doesn't look like they're, they're necessarily connected uh, to the community because basically it was a Los Angeles project in 1922 to, to decide you're going to build that building. You know, there were 550,000 people in Southern California, basically. And they go out and say, we're going to build a building that's going to be a hundred thousand, you know, seat, great, great um, sporting venue. And then now we're here, you know, today taking the name Los Angeles out of the, out of the Coliseum as we, keep cutting back the, uh, back the, you know, the seats. So uh, I think decision-making and leadership and the culture at USC is something I would be concerned about if I were, you know, Rick Caruso and the board of trustees uh, right now. I think it's, you know, it, it's done some things really, really well. But uh, if you're USC, you got to do a lot of things really, really well. And we're only dealing with the football part of it. But uh, there are a lot of things that, and the football part of it, and the Coliseum, that really have to be uh, be be done well. And we're not seeing any signs that they're figuring that out. And uh, you know, and then you throw in the Pac-12 situation, the conference situation going forward, the television situation, and all that. USC right now it cries out for leadership at every level that we can see. <laughs> And we're not seeing it. Yeah. Are we? No, are we, Ryan? That's very true. I mean, no president right now. So, um, yeah. all right. Well, we better wrap it up. Uh, we, it's going to be game time soon. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, it is. I'm glad it's a quick week. I think they needed a quick week. But, yeah. Uh, it's good we'll if you win. Friday. It's bad if you <laughs> lose. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a, Which uh, is always the case. I think that's how you got to look at everything. You know, whatever we're doing, if we win, it's good. Yeah. So, Winning is really important. Right. I mean, I think we got to win. You can't, I mean, you don't want to come out after uh, the Sanford loss and say how proud you are of your Warriors. And you want to say, coach, are you more proud of the Stanford loss than you were, say, proud of the Ohio State loss? Don't <laughs> say that. He's not proud yeah. of the law. You just, uh, you, no, don't say it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh... There's going to be a lot of questions if, uh, if USC loses on Friday, like, oh, why didn't you go full pads this week? And I mean, there's, it's just going to be, uh, I can't even imagine the questions we're going to get if there's a loss on Friday, but check it out. We're going to, I'm going to do a, working on a preview show for Washington state. So that'll be probably one more podcast before the Friday game. Uh, like I mentioned, I have a story coming up about attendance. So check that out on uscfootball.com. 
Dan's going to have columns and all kinds of stuff going in. But Dan, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Okay, thanks for your good questions, you guys. Uh, we do like these uh, kind of big picture questions because uh, there are a lot of you know big picture. To, there's a lot of the USC big picture we need to fill in right now, and we're not sure where the, where our crayons are. Where <laughs> stole the crayons? Nice. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 